the crop. Here. Who the f is that guy? I'm an officer. I'm better than you. And you know it. I'm kind of all. This is The Law, live audio wrestling, with the latest news, info, and interviews from the world of pro wrestling, mixed martial arts, and the best of combat sports worldwide. Now, here are your hosts, Chris Tidwell and Brady Wedham. There it is, ladies and gentlemen. That music can only mean one thing. It's time to party. Right here on the Law Live Audio Wrestling, it is the end of the year. Happy New Year to all of you, and Happy New Year to you, Brady. We started this opera-ish. It is the New Year. Happy New Year to all of the lawful, unlawful, our criminals, our law-abiding citizens. Uh, everybody sitting there listening to us right now, we are going to give you a very, very special episode this week. Not only do we have Santino Morella, we have a AEW pay-per-view to get through. I still think that we should have gone with the 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 hidden gem, the trademarks. I think that would have been a fantastic name, but you know what? I got outvoted. Maybe Wait, can we switch that? Can we switch I mean, it to trademarks? <laughs> it is a great name. What's going on, our lovely trademarks? <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah, we are going to have Santino Morella join me later on in the program, but also this week because I want to not take up too much time here. We're going to talk about the fallout that was from AEW World's End. Uh, all of the things that happened there. Was it a good pay-per-view? Was it a bad pay-per-view? Was there good things? Was there bad things? What did we think of it? What all were the of hashtags? That, all of the hashtags. <laughs> what was the stuff going into it? What is the stuff coming out of it? Because there was a whole lot of ins and outs to this one. There's no doubt about it. We're also going to talk, because it is the end of the year, we're going to talk about the fighter of the year in boxing. We're going to talk about the fighter of the year in MMA. And we're going to talk about who you think had the greatest year as a professional wrestler, not necessarily who was at the top of the PWI 500, but who had the best 2023 as a professional wrestler. So let's take a quick break. Let's pay some bills. Let's let the sponsors do what they do best. And when we come back, we're going to get right into it. This is the Law Live Audio Wrestling. I'm Chris Tidwell. He's little Brady Wedham. We're here to have a party. Woo! Bring on 2024, ladies and gentlemen. Let's go. Are you in the market for a used vehicle for your family or business? North Toronto Auction hosts public auctions twice a month and everyone's invited. Hundreds of cars, trucks, SUVs, commercial vehicles, and heavy equipment are available. Plus, travel trailers, motorcycles, snowmobiles, ATVs, and more. View the entire selection at NorthTorontoAuction.com. Bid online or bid in person. Bid on items from government agencies, financial companies, fleet managers, car dealers, and public insiders. For more information, visit us online at NorthTorontoAuction.com.
And we are back on The Law, live audio wrestling. And you hear that song? That is the Milan Miracle Santino. I don't know if I should admit this, but when I first heard that song, and I used to play it on repeat when it, when he first debuted in the company, it used so to bring what? a tear to my eye. I'm sorry, you used to what? I used to play it on repeat. Did you have Did you have all of the CDs? No, I just found that song online, and I just really, really loved it. See, I love opera music. I love, uh, I just, I love Italian music, and that song used to bring tears to my eyes. Who's your favorite opera performer? Mm, Paul Servino. Really? I know that sounds so weird, but I actually really like Paul Servino, the hmm. actor Paul Servino. Paul, yeah, yeah, no, I'm, 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 I'm familiar with. Who I know he is. you are. I'm just saying our, our, okay. our trademarks. All right. May not well, know who Paul is. Go check him out. Repo the genetic opera. Gold. I would. Great song. I, I would say my favorite opera performer has to probably be Bugs Bunny. I knew you were going to take this into a completely different. <laughs> I was waiting for Barbarati or something like that. No, 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 no. Bugs, Bugs Bunny. Bunny. All right. Absolutely. Fantastic stuff. Cause he's a hell of a performer. You know, who else is a hell of a performer, Brady MJF. He is that dude is a stud amongst studs. There's no doubt about it. Why he deserves the accolades that he's getting right now. So let's get into this very quickly. This past weekend, AEW had, World's End, their pay-per-view to knock off the end of 2023. Mm -hmm. What did you think of it? Overall, overall, before we get into the little bits of it, what did you think of the overall feel, the overall production, the overall vibe, the overall, like, was it a good pay-per-view for you? I agree with the text message you sent me within the first three minutes of the pay-per-view opening. This feels very WCW-ish. Yeah. It yeah, looked it like it. The, the the panning the panning shots you know mm -hmm. what i mean that that almost look like they almost look like fill-in shots that you would do like the crowd the crowd reaction shots that they would dump in i listen short of some uh chimed in uh chants for goldberg this had a very wcw feel the entire night and we spoke throughout the entire night but the beginning text was uh this feels very wcw-ish and the last text i sent you uh at the end of the pay-per-view was hashtag fire russo so uh, I think that's a full WCW spectrum throughout the event. We had some dusty finishes. We had some uh, production that looked very much like, you know, former WCW pay-per-views. What'd you think of the dusty finish? Um, hmm. Mm. I thought it was kind of creative. It was. And of course, of course, if you don't know which match we're talking about, uh, we're talking about the, the finish for the Adam Copeland Christian match. Uh, I thought that the, the, the idea of the dusty was very good. I think that if you do not take uh, what's his name, Kill Switch, it's Kill Switch now. It's uh, Lucha Dragon. Switch, yeah, uh, Lucha Yeah. If you do not take this as an opportunity to turn him back and turn him babyface out of this, it was pointless. Because I think the whole finish of it with you know Christian losing and Adam being the champ, but beaten all to hell, both of them bled for this. The funniest part was you know. Um, it was Christian bleeding at the end of it. I'm pretty sure it was because of the spear, and he probably took that belt buckle right between the eyes. One of the best visuals of the night was him doing the Boston Crab, sitting the on chair. the chair. Oh, what a my. great heel move. What it a fantastic so heel move. Amazing. Yeah. They are pros, and I think this was the best match of the night. I would I would probably say it would be considered the best match of the night. Maybe second. Maybe second. But, I but mean, that's just my bias. It, it it depends on who, what kind of wrestling you like. Correct. 
right? And what kind of storytelling you like. So they right. gave you a little bit of everything. They gave you that hardcore kind of a feel that that, but it wasn't like a death match hardcore. It wasn't that. It was a grudge match. It almost was that uh, that death match because when you saw that table get lit on fire, and you saw, you saw the little the little Wayans kid get thrown over the table, miss the table pretty much completely through the fire. I thought for sure he was dead. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. No, they took Nick Wayne and they really put his life on the line. Yeah, there was a couple of spots in that pay-per-view last night where I thought some people were dead. They, they, well, um, that's every AEW pay-per-view. I always feel like the, somebody is borderline about to die. The finish of that Tony Storm Reho match, I thought for sure that she was decapitated. That was crazy. Yeah, it was crazy. So Darby Allen took some crazy bumps in that really awkward eight-man tag match and not awkward for the same reasons that it should have really been noticed. Yeah, what did, you think of the, what did you think of the vibe of that match? Because it was, for me, for me myself, the vibe of the entire match was off. This was something that everybody was waiting for because if you don't know the story, go look up the story. We don't got time to, to I'm not tell you about it. it. You're listening to this anyways. Um, but the vibe of the match, even just not from the crowd, because, of course, everybody starts in with the chance, the NBA chance and everything like that. Yeah. And 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 even even the performers, like at one point, you know, you saw Sting look like he'd rather be anywhere else than standing in the ring next to the Ayatollah of non-disclosure. Poor um, Sting. He always is in situations where you just look at him and you're like, I feel so bad. for You have nothing to do with this. He's the odd man out. He's the odd man out, it seems like, with this, with with the end of his run here. It's really weird. You wish that they would have, they could do something more. But what do you do? I don't know. What do you do at this point? This match was very hashtag influenced. Um, like I said, like we said, if you you don't know what we're talking about, there's a lot of wrestling news going on right now, yeah. and there may be even more by the time this episode even comes out. But yeah, it it was it was an odd vibe. I think it the whole vibe of that kind of was throughout the entire show. Definitely was in that match. Um, lowlights of the of the event. I think you're you know we had said it off air, a little overbooked. Right. Um, there's a lot going on. I know they wanted to crash all of their their end of the year storylines into sure. this. And this was a big pile on. It did end before 12 Eastern mm -hmm. Standard Time, which was surprising. But it started at like seven. Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now, yeah. let's talk about like for match for me very quickly. Match for me was definitely the Continental Breakfast Classic mm -hmm. um, that I thought that Eddie Kingston, as soon as I saw him come out in those those uh those kick pads i was like this totally has that kabashi masawa you know that that feel that kawada kind of feel to it and uh kudos to brian danielson for even putting over because he understands the he understands the message he understands the mission and he he put over eddie kingston as well and kingston did a fantastic job the finish kind of i felt flat uh to the crowd there but to me I popped because, I because that kind of a finish in that kind of a match couldn't be any better. I think that both of those guys, to me, that was match of the night. 
for what I like. And I think Eddie Kingston deserves every accolade in the world. He is a fantastic talent. He is a fantastic mind. And he is building a cult of Kingston uh, of wrestling fans behind him that is going to take this dude to the stratosphere as long as he can stay healthy because he takes a beating when he's out there as well. I've said it before and I will say it again. He is reached full Diaz brothers level of fame. Yeah. He, he resonates in a certain type of person that not everybody gets, but the yeah. people that it does resonate with man, does it hit home? Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's just the that every street man. guy. He's, he's the, the every man. He's the every man right now. He is the new, he is this generation's I'll say it. I'll say it. He's this generation's stone cold Steve Austin. Oh, I was going to say son of a plumber. Well, and that, and which it's is very also, it's very similar though, one hundred percent, because yes. Steve Austin was that generation's son of a plumber. Yes, right, and and so everybody they need that. Now let's talk about a guy who is an underdog, the entire time, you know, in in the business, so to speak. Who main evented this pay per view? I'm talking about MJF. I'm not talking about Samoa Joe. That guy has been around for a minute, and you know, tough as nails. Uh, was this the right spot for him? Yes, absolutely. We it talked was. about it previously on a couple shows. Yep. Uh, yeah, Samoa Joe was probably the guy for this this spot. Absolutely. Will Samoa Joe be a transitional champion? Yes, I still do believe that inside of the company, but he's the perfect guy to do that because he doesn't need to have a title on him to get over. That that is not a thing for Samoa Joe. Has never needed it. Although, side note, very quickly, uh, I don't know if you saw this news. After Samoa Joe, the instant Samoa Joe won the title, if you go over to Impact Wrestling, they put up the video at the exact time when Samoa Joe wins the world championship at lockdown 2008. No. <laughs> they totally trolled everybody <laughs> in their marketing company. Martin <laughs> Scott. I thought that is... That is great. Oh man. That is great. Wow. Yes. Unbelievable. But you can put a suit on about... the worker where the worker never stops working, man. Right. Whoever is in charge of that social media stuff over there, uh, especially their Twitter stuff, uh, deserves a raise. That's mm -hmm. all I'm saying. Um, I agree. Now let's talk about MJF because prior, prior to the week, he put out a letter and everybody yes. knows about this letter right now. And we've had a chance to go through and read this letter. And it was a letter, to, a letter to the business. Well, some highlights of this letter is the way that he puts everybody over. To me, this was a this was a farewell letter to AEW. This was a letter saying, "Hey, AEW is a good place." And regardless of what you're hearing going on right now with this person leaving and that person leaving and this kind of turmoil and this backstage backstage culture breakdown inside of AEW, regardless of all of those things, to him, to MJF. This is a good place to be, and it's a place that owes him a lot, and he owes it a lot. So that's what the feel of this entire letter was, because he does, he goes through and he puts over a lot of people. He puts over people like Tony. He puts over, you know, people like the Bucks and and Kenny. He puts over Chris Jericho, and that's what made me think uh, at this time is like, oh yeah, this is completely a love letter to AEW. This is an au revoir rub, right? Because. Here's the thing. He even says it in here. He's talking about John Moxley 
And this was kind of a, a telltale, in my opinion, when he says, you know, he was talking to Moxley and they're talking about all of the things and the years that they've been and doing it. And, and he says, okay, you wrestled classics in ring of honor. You were a top guy on the Indies. You sold out arenas in Mexico. You were literally big in Japan. Cool. Have you ever said welcome to Monday Night Raw, though? Hmm. And that was a statement that he had said in there that really made me go, yep, nope, this is this is a perfect MJF promo. Because at the end of the day, he needs to fulfill that part of his dream for himself. We'll see you at SummerSlam, kid. That's what I think, too, because there is going to be some time for him to take off. Thankfully, because he's even said inside of all of this how how sore he is, how tired he is. Right. He says in, in, in this letter as well, my hip is a mess. My arm won't lift above my head. I'm on painkillers, which are not my thing, and I can't sleep. And that's, you know, that's the that's the actual line right there. In itself, that is, that's a double-edged sword, if yeah. you ask me. Um, and, you know, the reason being for myself is because, number one, here's clearly a guy saying, hey, I need to take a break. Hey, which means that I'm going to be gone for a little bit to take this break. But don't worry, it doesn't matter when I debut, right? Contract is up. Perfect chance for him to put Samoa Joe over. Samoa Joe is a great guy to carry this, you know, this belt right now until they figure out what's going on, until they make that transition. But MJF definitely needs a break. MJF, if I'm looking at this from the other side, though, this also speaks to me. It speaks to me a bigger problem inside of an employer-employee relationship that is a company like AEW. I don't think at any time you're going to ever hear somebody from the WWE while still employed from the WWE say, Hey, I'm on painkillers. I'm on a whole bunch of meds just to get through this pay-per-view this weekend. And I know you're my employer, but I'm going to go out there and do my job while on all of these painkillers. I think he's, he's a lot smarter than people think he is. He really is. He really is. He is like, he's, you know, I know that he says that he was bullied for his learning disability. Well, my friend, you got past it. Well, whatever you picked up in life, you are, you are in tune to a different type of thinking. Listen, it's, it's no secret that I've often said that learning disabilities inside of schools do not equate to garbage for me, because yeah. I think that every single human being learns at a different rate, a different pace and a different style. If you compare each other to each other, like if we if we were to take all of us individuals and compare each other to another person or your neighbor, we're all going to look like we have some sort of learning disability somewhere. Unbelievable, right? Yes. Unbelievable. So congratulations to MJF. The way he sold this match was great. The way he did all of that was fantastic. And then the match ended and you had what was probably the flattest blow off in all of wrestling history. I don't know why it happened. I don't know what you were thinking. Uh, uh, I don't know why Adam Cole was brought out there at the beginning of the match to blow the whole spot up to any smarts out there. You knew exactly you had this back and forth guess. Who's it going to be? Who's it going to be? As soon as Adam Cole came down that ramp at the beginning, I was like, oh, it's him. Mm -hmm. uh, there's there's the giveaway right there. 100%. And then for him to just be a cheerleader out there, like it was weird writing 
to me anyways, for the, for the way that the story kind of played out, you almost would have thought that there should have been, you know, I get it. You don't want to go with the traditional, like they get in there, they're ready to fight back to back, you know, and then dink, he twats him from behind and Adam Cole gets revealed. No, but the just standing there, it was more of a reveal of who the devil guys were rather than who the devil was. People didn't pop for they didn't pop until the people took their masks off. Yeah. So like when when the lights came on and they seen Adam Cole sitting in a chair, there was a little bit of a, you know, a rumble. But the second that the masks were taken off, everybody already knew Adam Cole was in that position. We're not stupid. Yeah. And I think that this this storyline has switched three or four times in the back. It's crazy. I think they just went back to whatever they had kind of there at the time. And they're like, this is we just got to get this over with. Let's just. MJF's off now. Adam Cole can be a real heel and be like, I'm the one that sent MJF to the other company. Like they can build off of this. But let's say MJF doesn't go to the WWE. Okay. And he goes back. Tony writes him a $10 million check for three years. All right. All right. Big money for the boys. And he shows back up on that TV. Is that is that storyline already dead in the water because of how shitty the reveal was? In my opinion? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and and you also you also got to remember they've done this devil thing before, right? Mm-hmm. It's called who aces was, and eights. Who was who was the devil last time? Bubba Ray or something? No, no, that they did it in in AEW. I don't know. Did they do this before? I'm pretty sure. I don't think. I think they've done so much in AEW. You can't. Right? Eat, you just called the tournament the Continental Breakfast Tournament. Yeah, I did. Mm-hmm. That's what it is: free waffles and a side of bacon. <laughs> <laughs> well going back into the look of the pay-per-view as a whole uh if yeah. you haven't if you haven't watched pay-per-view go check it out there is stuff uh there is some highlights there's some lowlights but it's wrestling as a whole take it in as a as the way you get it and just enjoy it production though speaking of mm-hmm. production we've lost things at aew like yeah. kevin sullivan right we've lost things now in wwe as reported by fightful and sean rossap this weekend kevin dunn is done. on his way out of the WWE. What do you think about that? Done, done, done. You've been done so long. You've been done, done, done so long. I mean, listen, since 1993, he's been in charge. Uh, Kevin Dunn ha- is responsible for a lot of stuff that people, if your name isn't McMahon or, you know, Levesque, I mean, it is probably, that is the name synonymous with WWE and the look that you've seen for so long. My only fault with him is the shaky camera era. I'm not a fan. I was never a fan of that Batman fight scene. Uh, I don't care how many Michael Bay movies you watched and how many Transformers movies you were into. It just wasn't my bag at all. Uh, But outside of that, I think that Kevin Dunn is going to be a guy who's going to be missed inside of that production uh, trailer. You know what I mean? Because I think that it's not a it's not a matter of like he didn't want to work for WWE anymore. He wasn't working for WWE. I think this is a matter of the fact that like since the merger, he said, I'm only working for the McMahons. That's it. Well, that isn't who does it now. And there's going to be cutbacks and there's going to be new things brought in. There's going to be technology brought in that allows them to do these cutbacks. And they may not need somebody like him overseeing it. They may think that they have it, but you're going to find out quickly You're going to find out very quickly that it's the minds of the WWE that keep that machine going. It's the minds of history 
It's the people in the past that are now doing those jobs behind the scenes because they know the business. And that is what made the WWE product look the way that it does. That's what always has made it the pinnacle. That's what's always made it the, that is the epitome of what a wrestling show should look like on television. And everybody else just comes across looking like they're trying to come up with their own thing. Listen, if you don't think that that has been done already, you're sadly mistaken. The WWE has already tried it, realized it doesn't look good, and now they have this. This is why it looks that way. It didn't work for WCW with that look. It didn't work for ROH with that look. You didn't end up, you're going to end up on the Sunshine Channel if that's even a thing anymore. It didn't work for these guys. And you're going to see some changes in the WWE look if they're not very careful, in my opinion. And that doesn't mean shit, ladies and gentlemen, but I think that you're going to see it because. In my opinion, you still need to have that human eye overlooking it because it's that human eye and that human element that knows that product better than anybody else ever could. Now, is this a coincidence? If uh, Tony's already got his checkbook out, Kevin Sullivan's out the door. A week later, Kevin Dunn at the other company's out the door. Do you see Kevin Dunn walk through AEW's doors? I would never say never on anything because it's the world of professional wrestling. But I do believe that at this point, uh, cantankerous Kevin Dunn uh, is done and he can just go off and retire. I don't think here's the thing. I I also don't think that. I think that his loyalty to the McMahon name and the McMahon family might be a little bit deeper than people actually think. And I think that he would just take a very nice retirement package from the family and be on his way. He's done this before when his contract was up, but he was always, you know, asked to come back. Even even when the merger happened, they asked to ask him to stay on and he agreed. So for him to walk away a happy camper with a nice a nice payload and be able to enjoy his life and not sit in a trailer, you know, four nights out of the week. Oof. Well yeah. If we don't want to sit in a trailer, we need to take a sponsor break. And with that said, when we come back, we're going to talk about the best fighters, the best pro wrestler, the best boxer of the year. Sportcards.com, Canada's number one stop for WWE, AEW, UFC, NHL, NBA, and NFL hobby boxes. Total Total Sport Cards always delivers the most sought-after products with the best price points in the market that you can find. Keep your collection up to date with TotalSportCards.com. TotalSportCards.com, proud sponsor of Sunday night's main event. And of course we are back and it is now now that time. It is now that time to talk a little bit of fight action because we are the combat sports and combat sports entertainment show that you are all listening to. And it is the end of the year. So we'd be remiss if we didn't match who got fighter of the year. Now we all know that in the world of boxing, Terrence 
Bud Crawford comes out on top as fighter of the year. And that's just a no-brainer, in my opinion. I think that there's no doubt about it because I think the toss-up fight that everybody was was trying to figure out who was it going to be this year for fighter of the year. And Terrence Crawford, the way that he handled Errol Spence Jr. was just unbelievable, a clinic, a, a masterpiece of boxing that you didn't think was going to happen. But Terrence Bud Crawford, the fighter of the year in boxing, no doubt about it, hands down. Easy. Now Easy. in MMA. Who, in MMA. Who is the best fighter? Well, of according, according to the guys, according to the guys over at Tapology, I mean, who would you think? Would you think it was be, be like a John Jones coming back at heavyweight, you know? Or would you think it was be a Tom Aspinall taking on uh short notice with a busted up back and no visa to come in and 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 win the interim championship of that? Would you think it was Islam Makachev uh with his big his big knockout win? Uh, would you think that it would be, you know, uh, DDP uh, with his rise? Would you think it would be Izzy Adesanya with his Justin Gaethje? We're talking a list of a bunch of guys that it very well could Oton, be. Oh, Grasso. There's a bunch of names here. Unbelievable. But according to Tapology, the fighter of the year who had the best year, so to speak, Sean Strickland. Oh, well, you can't disagree with that. Now. I think that that might also, now that I'm saying it out loud, might be a little bit to do with not just his his fights inside of the ring and obviously capturing the the title from Israel Adesanya, but the the polarizing effect that is the Strickland effect, as I like to call it. You know, it's the it's the new Chael Sonnen effect, but it's just a little bit harsher. It's been run down the road just a little bit more. It's a little bit gravelier. It's kind of like he's this generation's Don Fry, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> it really is weird. He might be Don Fry with more firepower. Don Fry, when he was around, was considered acceptable, though. That's right, because Sean it was that Strickland, time. Sean Strickland is 100% unacceptable. To a lot of people. Yeah, but to, to me and to, to fight fans, Sean is brilliant inside of that octagon. Listen, Sean is definitely a polarizing character who definitely needs to spend just as much time on somebody's couch telling them his problems because he may need a, a couple of therapy quest, uh, therapy sessions. Yeah, he's, he's definitely got some stuff to get off of his chest. And I think we're going to see that as the years go on with Sean. Well, listen, I think that he uses all of his interview stuff and everything that he does outside of the octagon as his therapy. Uh, it's his way. And he always trying to be funny. You know that and mm -hmm. there's there's always a little bit of truth in humor. You know that as well. You know, so every time he says one of these things and he tries to be cutesy about it, ah, there's still an underlying element of truth to what he's saying. Well, can I give you some truths? Please late do. night, late night when I uh, partake in a little bit of the illegal gummies that Canada has here, um, yep. I'd be lying if I said that I don't go and check out highlights from Sean Strickland's press conferences since he started doing these last year. That then they just make me giggle. It's better than a Mel Brooks movie. They make you, me giggle you, like, you, <laughs> <laughs> like if you're looking for laughs, if you're looking for silliness, I mean, if you're listen, it's the greatest thing since watching maybe, I don't know, Revenge of the Pink Panther and no, a whole bunch my. of Peter Sellers stuff. I'm pretty sure that Peter Sellers is a big hit in the Sean Strickland household. I bet Sean Strickland thinks that he is just absolutely hilarious, right? And <laughs> I'm assuming he's got the whole Peter Sellers uh, DVD Blu-ray collection. Now. Best pro wrestler. 
of yes. the year. Who, who now the PWI 500's been out for a bit. We already sure. know that there's you, everyone's seen that list and they know yeah. the top 10 if not the top 500 off of the top of their heads speaking of tops. Who was your best professional wrestler of 2023? Well, who had a blowout year? Who had a great yeah. year to really solidify themselves? Listen, number 1 was Seth Rollins on the PWI 500. Right. Number two was number two is Roman Reigns. They had great, they had great years. Roman Reigns hardly had to work. I mean, what did he do? Defend his, his title? Like what? Four, four and a half times. times. Yeah. You know what I mean? Not even like, it was ridiculous. Um, the number six guy on the PWI 500 was MJF. Mm-hmm. He had a better year than that. Uh, I think that, but I think as far as the guy who really solidified himself, got to give it to Gunther. I was I would say either Gunther or Swerve Strickland or Swerve I think so absolutely but I think just the transformation was so much greater with Gunther. Oh yeah, he's got a story to tell. Like unbelievable physically, mentally, his work rate, everything. He really like found his pocket. I think with Swerve, I think he's just getting into his groove. I think that this is the scary thing with Swerve is that I think 2024 is going to be Swerve Strickland's year. As long as that guy can stay healthy and doesn't end up on a shelf because he does some wacky stuff out there. Yeah. I think 2024 is going to be Swerve Strickland's year. Mark my words. Okay. Well, Gunther, I think we agree on Gunther. I think Gunther is basically your new Brock Lesnar. I think when the bell rings and you hear Gunther's music, you know, it's going to be a, it's, it's going to be a long night. It's going to be a good time. It's going to be a good time uh, and a bad time. And speaking of good times, Mm -hmm. we have a hell of a good time for the new year's here with our guest on Tid's kick in the head this week. Yeah. I got a chance to sit down with longtime friend and colleague, uh, Santino Morello, as most of you will know him, former WWE intercontinental champion. Okay. Uh, fantastic hand. Also the owner and operator of uh, a, 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 a gym that has housed a lot of people popping through whenever they would come into Toronto. Battle arts I'm talking about. And uh, a, a man that I have a lot of respect for. And we have a very good conversation. Uh, and I'm glad that we got to end out the year like this. So how about we take that one more quick break? When we come back, you're going to get to hear all of that. And then uh, afterwards, we'll close this this whole thing off for the year of 2023. Happy New Year to you all. Hello, special friends. You can catch Greg and Brad, your smack daddies, each weekend on the SNME radio network. We cover our lives, what's happening on the East Coast, and eventually cover SmackDown. Check us out each week at SundayNightsMainEvent.com. Please subscribe to get your Smack Daddies and the rest of the SNME Radio Network content directly to your podcatcher for less than a dollar a week. We the ones!
So we're back here on The Law, live audio wrestling, and it's time now for what Brady has adopted as the Tid's kick in the head. I don't know where he ever came up with this. Uh, I've never been known as uh, a stiff guy in the ring or anything like that uh, to too many people. Much like somebody who I'm about to spend some time chatting with right now, who, if you would believe that this guy was going to be as popular as he became in the world of professional wrestling, uh, I, for one, would have said yes, because, and I'm going to get into this when we talk about this, and his ability to draw a character out of absolute thin air and make it one of the most over things either on the card that night or just in wrestling in general. I'm talking about a guy, uh, you know him as Santino Morelli. I know him as Anthony Corelli, and he's joining me now to shoot the shit for a bit. Anthony, how the hell are you, brother? Amazing, man, amazing. It's yeah. Christmas time up north here. I got two little ones, so it's a, it's it's become a special time of year. You know, I was never a big Christmas fan, but with these little kids and watching it through their eyes, it's a, it's an awesome time of year. Were you always traveling during Christmas time, or even like when you were a kid, Christmas just wasn't, wasn't. When, when I was little, Christmas was good. You know, well, you know. A teenager, you don't care. University, well, I was already a dad, so it was kind of about my daughter. And, uh, and then, yeah, I was always leaving Boxing Day, getting back, you know, like two days before Christmas and quick dinner out the door. And um, But now I'm just trying to soak it all up and take my time and enjoy the expressions on their faces and stuff. <laughs> and it's like, it's big tree it's little kid stuff all over again. Do you find yourself being a little kid? Do you leave hints now for your family of like, ah, I'd be cool if I got this for Christmas this year. <laughs> yeah. Well, my son already has a like too much stuff, but you know, I never put lights on a house before and stuff. And each year we add something new and, uh, you know, we got stockings on the, on the fireplace, but, you know, the, the usual stuff, but, um, when Bianca was little, I, you know, didn't have a house with, uh, I lived with my parents and then, uh, when I had a home of my own, I was on the road. So it was, wasn't, wasn't the same. I gotta say, you mentioned, you mentioned your daughter, Bianca, she's doing fantastic shout out to her for like, just absolutely killing it out there right now. Yeah. She's doing, it's, it's fun. It's 2024 is going to be, I just have this feeling in my bones, man. It's going to be a epic year for the family so I'm, I'm i just had my eye surgery last week it's like this new right. beginning i can see without fucking glasses or contacts <laughs> and uh you know i'm i'm tr just pretty good shape i'm training i feel good and uh bianca's doing good she's back from her injury i just i, I feel something special in the air so i'm, I'm really excited about 2024 are you hinting are you fucking no, hinting no, no, right I just, now? Just a gut feeling. Just a gut feeling. It's, it sounds like you're hinting that maybe there's going to be like the the father daughter tag team. Uh, oh no, that, I mean that's a dream, right? You know, when I when I when I talked to Scott in the beginning, and he, you know, I, I said, okay, I think Impact is, is is the right time. I just said the only thing I ask is that when my daughter gets called up, if they want me to share the ring with her for a couple of months, you know, just allow me to do that, and he's cool and understanding so that's all i ask you know you got to go down there and see her yet at the facility what's that have you got to go down and see her down there yet yeah the yeah well, uh, well i did get some guest coaching spots 
yeah. while uh, while she was there. Um, it, uh, TNA is going to be in Orlando in a couple of weeks, so I'm going to stay an extra day and go see her down there. And she was here uh, uh, October Canadian Thanksgiving, so we we, we try and squeeze it in as much as we can because we know how fast it goes. Is it different? Is it different coaching her down there than it was, say, coaching her? You know what I mean when she was first breaking. Yeah, me? I try not. I try not to um, coach too much, kind of thing. You know, okay. it, it, it's like uh, I prepare her for for exams more than teach the curriculum throughout the year. You know. Right. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, there's plenty of wrestling down there. She's gonna get all these different flavors. I mean, and the coaches like Norman Smiley, Fit Finley. Um, that's just two of the top top of my head. Um, uh, uh, Johnny Moss is there, yeah, and the yeah. list goes on. Right, there's just yeah. stacked coaching staff. Uh, Winkler, she had for a while. Uh, anyway, that's plenty of wrestling. You know, I just kind of. We'll give her the inside scoop with regards to some of the things I've overheard people say, people that are really respecting the business and that, they, you know, the problem is today that we don't, we don't see enough of this. Okay. That's what they're looking for, you know, and, and there's just the kind of the, the cheat codes. <laughs> now you talk about, okay. So coaching, obviously we knew it was in your future a long, long time ago. You had a, a great brain for the business. Yeah. But I want to go back to before you, because you didn't just develop this fucking brain overnight. You didn't put a book under your pillow and all of a sudden it was there. It was something that was developed for, you know, to you as well. Right. And <clears throat> some of us, not everybody knows the history between you and coach. I'm talking about Don Koloff. How did you meet Don for people that don't know? Right. Yeah. Um, I wrestled in university. Mm -hmm. Concordia University in Montreal. And there was a guy on my team, man. He's one of my best friends to this day. And he was Don Koloff's son. And just conversing. I think I think I was at my apartment in Montreal. And I'm like, your dad was what? And, you know, wrestled the Calgary Stampede, WWF. He had a school in Woodbridge. And I'm just like, holy crap. I just found my, my, my destiny, you know, a very eerie feeling. The, the, these eerie feelings they've only come, they've only happened a few times where you feel like oh man like you just something surreal just happened where you you know fate and destiny or something lined up the way it should be and uh, at first I thought I was you know too small and then when I go to the gym and we, we'd be doing MMA like uh, one of the guys was a, a sambo champion I was a judo guy there was wrestlers and we're just, and, but on the other side of the map, there was the pro wrestling ring, and everybody was huge, man. Like three fifty, six four, six five, and I'm like, damn, I'm like, you know, I didn't think coach was gonna take me. And then on the, there was a picture on the wall of him and Owen Hart, and I kind of look at Owen Hart compared to coach, and I'm like, like this, this is like my size, right? And I'm like, how tall was Owen Hart? And he's like, oh, your size. And I'm like, like so, my size is not an obstacle. And he's like, no, no, you, know, you can get a little bigger and, and try and hit 230, 220. So I was like, you know, yeah, I can do that. I can do that. And, and, and if this is not going to be an obstacle, I think I'd be pretty good at this, man. Because after judo class, we'd always mess around and do some whatever, w, 
pro wrestling stuff on the mats and and uh i just always had a knack for it but uh anyway yeah it was it was a big learning curve in the beginning and the big thing for me was the order in which i received my coaches okay. don koloff was a great first coach for me to smarten me up in, in terms of you know take this serious uh, have some discipline, some professionalism, protect yourself. Um, and then, you know, going to Japan and having Mr. Ishikawa bringing that that passionate, burning heart fighter uh, out of me. Um, and, and, and even just having to survive in Japan in the dojo, fight my way through the, through the ranks, through the class, getting real fights in class. Um, getting my uh, I had so much I was so confident my draft this is 2004 my grappling was like good man really really good like no gi grappling and it, it gave me the confidence to be able to go into anywhere and know that if anyone went rogue on me so to speak I could defend myself and didn't know what I was you know the the, the opportunities were coming in Japan I was there for the better part of all of 2004 so I'm 30 years old already and uh, then I overstayed one of my tourist visas while I was trying to get my working visa, and I was banned from Japan. So I'm like, I had an apartment, I had a scooter, I had like, I had a life there. I was doing extra work for act, uh, acting and stuff, commercials, uh, and all of a sudden I'm just like, I gotta go, I gotta leave. And I'm like, man. Anyway, it was I was like halfway into the game plan. I left for like two years in my mind. And uh, I mean, I had to sit down. Bianca was eight. I had to sit her down and say, "Like, I got, I got to go on this mission, man. I got to do this for us. I got, I got to make it. How can I take you anywhere if I never made it anywhere?" You know. So um, she understood, and uh, she came to she came to Japan for like uh, a month one time. It was awesome, actually. And then, but because of that, it's like somebody was gently guiding me somewhere. You know, because of that, I went to OVW. And I went in the beginner's class, the intermediate class, and I worked up my ranks to the advanced class. And that, that was the developmental class as well. So from Japan, then I meet Rip Rogers. And he just strips everything and says, leave that championship, leave that mentality, leave that real fighting shit at the door. This is all phony fucking bullshit. And, and this is all <laughs> storytelling. And and I was 31 years old and I learned how to run the ropes and lock up and, and like from scratch. But everything I'd done in the past kind of gave me this like head start because yeah, this guy's green, but he just came from Japan. So he knows something we don't know. He's right. been somewhere we haven't been. And it, it kind of just helped me with, with the respect. Uh, and then, yeah. And then it was Rick Rogers pedal to the metal for like, you know, a year, like, I was training three times a day, going to the gym for two hours, private classes with Rip Rogers, and either Rip's class or Al Snow's class. And uh, we just did it. Like, I just, I wanted to hurry up and get home, right? So I was just training, like, obsessed, obsessively. And um, and then, you know, I had Al Snow. So, that, again, the order of getting those coaches uh, was incredible. And I was, again, confident. So... I was doing squash matches as Boris Alexiev. I got signed in developmental. I was only there for a few months. So the majority of my matches to this point were in practice. 
but I was, but Rip Rogers was such a good coach that I felt like I was, maybe I was uh, naive, but I felt like I was prepared for any opportunity. And uh, yeah, you know, having an Italian background paid off and I got called up and had the opportunity to do this character. And I just brought it to life in a way that it was just so believable, you know? And um, then that was it, buckle, you know, buckle up and, and you're on the road for like, it was like eight years. But then that's like, now you're in Harvard. Right. And now I'm sitting beside Arn Anderson and, you know, Mike Rotundo and John Cena and Ricky Steamboat, and Triple H. I'm listening to these guys talk, yeah, you know, the Armstrong family. Dean Malenko. I mean, the list goes on. The, the producers at that time, it was, it was it was incredible. Man. I was just picking Ric Flair, giving me tidbits of a, a post match. Hey, come here, try this. And Shawn Michaels, you know those elbows when he had you to hold, they're too fast and all that stuff. And <laughs> it was just, it, it, it's like if you get, if you're if you excel, you can get there. But then when you get there, you really excel. That that that's when. The space starts the being do- made. The doors to the club are opened up to you. You've done, they've realized that you've done your time. You've done your due diligence. You've, you've earned your stripes, so to speak. And they're like, okay, now we're going to show you what it's like, how to do it on TV. Yes. Right. Yeah. Where it matters. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, 2000 matches later, I, I remember the day that I came to the curtain and Cena's like, he just shook my hand and said, "You've you fucking mastered this, man." And it, it, and it, and I remember hearing Ricky Steamboat say that it took him a two thousand matches, and I'm like, two thousand matches, and I was calculating my matches per year at the time. I'm like, that's gonna take me forever. And sure enough, man, just about two thousand matches. I got okay. Everything just there wasn't like a wasted step. You know, everything was a part of something that had a purpose that was going to be paid off. And it was like, I became like a conductor of an orchestra. You know, I could, I could, everything I was doing, I had a complete and understood purpose to me. And at the end, it would all pay off, wrapped up in a nice bow. And uh, I, w- I, w- I was told that during my matches on all the live events, it was a, always a monitor sellout by the rest of the locker room. So um, when the boys don't get sick of seeing your shit every day, that's, that's a big compliment. To, it was to me. Well, I mean, you think about it, you think about the whole, everything that was going on in the Attitude Era, and it was, it was like tits and ass and, and beer chugging and all of this stuff. And then all of a sudden, here comes this character that, that you were like, fuck it, hands in the air, we're just going to throw all caution to the wind, have as much fun as possible and show everybody that there's still a fun side to all of this. You can still get the story across, but there's a fun character driven side to that thing you had the you had the ability with that character to draw out of people that inner child that thing that that everybody fell in love with professional wrestling for 
because nobody fell in love with professional wrestling because of you know well okay some people probably did with the with the violence and the and the, and the mayhem and the, just the chaos of it or whatever everybody kind of fell in love because there was this character there was this mm-hmm. thing that made everybody go yeah i can't wait to sit down in front of the tv bug the crap out of my parents and watch so and so on on the screen for however long it is and you might have known it was you know it was it was goofy right you might have known it was a complete character but you didn't care and you was doing that character was a complete i don't want to say a throwback but it was a complete homage to everybody to remember why they fell in love with what they're watching right now. So I can sense Yeah. You know, when I was growing up, I watched a lot of TV in the eighties. That was when I fell in love with wrestling. Um, it, it was kind of like this eclectic combination of all the different types of comedy and expressions right. and things that I saw growing up. And I, I, it's funny because I would hear from a lot of people like at conventions, they'd say like, uh, me and my grandmother, we shared loving you as a wrestler, you know, like like different generations. Yes. Or some of the boys would say like, my wife hates wrestling and I've been working here for 25 years. She's like done with it. She goes, but you, you got my wife back into wrestling. Thank you, because now we share it again. And it was it was definitely different, you know, this is a this is my analogy. It's like the perfect analogy. Um, nobody goes to a sushi restaurant for the ginger, but it comes with every meal, and that that that's the the comedic element. You know, it's a, has to be on every show. It's not why you came there, but it's an integral part of the meal. And uh, I was the I was the ginger. <laughs> those those uh. <laughs> Ginger suppliers are making a lot of money. It comes in every meal. Listen, I clean out the fucking ginger dish. All right, brother. <laughs> yeah. No, no, don't kid yourself. I love that stuff. It's great. Was there? I want to. I want to step back a second because I want to talk about in Japan when you when you went there. Much like most of the boys are like, "Holy shit, I've made it! I'm I'm in Japan." Was like before? You know, obviously before it all went down, you you got the boot out of Japan or whatever. Was there a plan in place? Like, did 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 the office, you know, get upset because you were kind of felt like high and dry? What was your plan in place to be in Japan? Was that your end goal, or did you know at the time it was just a stopover? Well, I can't remember where I heard who it was, but I heard somebody went to Japan and got over, and then Vince was like. Who's this guy that's over in Japan? Oh, he's a guy from North America. Well, why isn't he here? Let's let's bring him here. If he if he's over there, let's 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 recruit him. And that was my idea. So because I did judo, judo's Japanese, I grew up, you know, my sensei was like my second father, you know, and I, I was very comfortable with the with the culture. Um and my plan was to go there and just just get over in Japan. That was to the point where people back in North America would have heard about me. Kind of like a Daniel Bryan type thing, you know? I heard about him over in Japan and he'd be in magazines, you know, the American Dragon. And, and I didn't know about him from North America. I found out about him while he was in Japan. Um, and, and that was, yeah. So when I went there though, I, I, I paid, I, I signed up to go to this dojo and they only had matches every, every two months. So I get there, 
you know, missed the first show. I just got there. Uh, like four months later, I get like a match. So I'm just training every day, a thousand squats, push-ups, grappling for like four months to get like a match. And after six months, I had like my second match. Like so I'm like in total six months. And then at the end, we started getting like one a month, uh, a festival, something else. And it started picking up and they were, they were going to say, okay, and now we're going to bring you to other companies as well. And now, and that was when, yeah, I got uh, the boot and the boot was originally for five years. So at the time when the guy discovered me, I would go down to the immigration office and try, you know, bring all my paperwork and, and, those were long days, man. It was like an hour subway ride. I had to walk for like an hour, wait in line. And like in North America, it's you need A, B, C, D. Yeah. In Japan, it's like almost like you have to be able to interpret. Because even when I bring the documents back to Ishikawa, it goes, hmm, it seems like they want this. I'm like, what do you mean it seems like? Like, just tell me what they want. I'll, I'll, I'll provide the documents, you know? And, um, but anyway, one day I went there and the guy's like, your visa runs out in like four days. I'm like, yeah, I'm like flying home like later. And they go, no, what, once you've overstayed, you over, no, no, sorry, sorry. Your visa expired last week. Ugh. And, uh, it was, you, you are, you are like, it's an infraction. You've overstayed your visa. You can't come back for five years. And I'm like, what the, like, what? I mean, I mean like, maybe, like, maybe, no, no, no. Like, no, you're, you're banned for five years. One guy, which Japanese people don't usually do, gave me the Iggy and said, look, if you keep a low profile till December 1st, because December 1st, the law is changing for the first time in like a hundred years that you'll only be banned for one year. So it goes just, whatever law is in place when you leave, like the day you leave, that applies to you. So I had to like just keep a low profile and just you know whatever stay stay home and <laughs> you were a, fug this, so I, you I were left, a like, fugitive. You were a fugitive and I was in, a fugitive man. man. <laughs> and they said if I wanted to uh, um, like uh, contest the decision, I had to check into like uh, immigration jail. And I'm like immigration jail. I'm from Canada, man. Like I, I'm, I'm from a great place, you know. Like, uh, I'm not going to go to jail. I was going to go home to, you know, paradise. Right. Um, yeah. So I went home for one year and, and uh, I was banned for a year. Wow. Well, at least it was only one year. Yeah. Thank God. You know, because I mean, listen, Japan's got so much to offer. It's I love Japan, actually. It's, it's so crazy. And I want to. Oh, OK, so here's the thing. I don't know if you remember this or not. And it talks, we talk about Japan, talk about characters, and we talk about putting the two of them together, which is something that you did at this one time on a show. I believe it was a, a Ring Wars show working for a Chris Drury. I was working, I worked Tony Atlas in like a 30 minute fucking ridiculous <laughs> match against him. And you, you put on, the ninja costume. Oh yeah. And worked as Sensei Hiroshima. Okay. <laughs> this was when I knew this was when I knew the the ability for you to draw a character was stellar. 
was absolutely fantastic. You'd never done this before. Didn't even bother to put boots on. Went out barefoot in this, you know, black gi and an all black hood. And I don't know if you remember or not. You did not one single wrestling move. There was no lockup. There was no, there was no hip toss. There was no nothing. Everything you did was a nerve pinch. <laughs> oh my God. Oh, wow. So, you know, what's funny that was a huge eye-opening experience. I remember that because when I started as like Johnny Giobasco, right. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how he should act. Is it me? Is it another guy? And I had the opportunity for Sensei Hiroshima and all of a sudden the crowd was way more into Sensei Hiroshima. And um, remember the gentleman that, uh, oh, not, uh, he, uh, he did, he delivered the rings. Oh, Mac. Mac. Yes. And he um, came up to me and said, was that, that's like the, the, the best I've ever seen your work. You just, you just came alive. I'm like, I've never seen you. And I'm like, I felt that. I totally felt that. And then I realized to have something to sink, sink your teeth into in terms of a character or a canvas or a screen to project upon, you need something to separate yourself, at least me. And then I decided to be like, you know, a, a character always. Yeah. That is, that's always going to be one of my favorite stories. <laughs> the nerve holds. It was nothing but fucking nerve holds the whole time. Like little pinches here and pinch to the leg. And it was just this constant claw action ready to get you at all times, which if you think back on it, it was literally your Cobra. Yeah. Yes. It's telling a story too, right? You're just drawing this whole thing out of, out of something. Yeah. Yeah. It makes the last sense. thing you wanted to get was, you know, that, that finisher, that Cobra thing. And then the same thing with this nerve, the last <laughs> thing you wanted to get, I don't even know if you realized how onto something you were back then. Yeah, no, I, it was the, the eye opening thing was, was having a character that, right. that, that, that how much better it was for me to have a character than just try and be a guy. Do you remember? Do you remember your very first match? Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah I remember elements of it. With it was Rico Montana. Yeah. Orangeville Ring Wars. Judo throws. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because a lot of people ask me, like, "Do you remember your first match?" And I'm like, "Fuck, do I?" Do I? And then I get people that come up to me and they're like, oh, don't you? Remember? Yeah, nice to see you. We worked each other in so-and-so. Do you ever have that? Or did oh, yeah. I just take too many fucking chair shots? <laughs> no, there, there's, I see stuff because I, I was, I wasn't the guy. So I probably did, uh, I forget what I calculated, like 600 episodes of TV or something. I never watched them back. Uh, if they were on and catering the next day, I caught it. That's it. But I never went home and watched it. So there's so much stuff. There's matches that pop up on Twitter on this day 15 years ago. And I'm like, what? And zero, just zero recollection. Um, so it's crazy watching it because I'm like, that's definitely me. But I, but that match, I remember. The first match, I remember. I had the Magnum boots, the full contact fighter shorts, you know. 
Hacksaw was there. Yeah. 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 And and listen, shout out to shout out to the partner that you were in there with. You know, exhibit, I think he was going by at the time. Rico yeah, Rico back then, yeah. Yeah. Right. You know, he had already already been a guy who's traveled a little bit, you know, hell of a base. Um, I guess he's all skinny now though, you know. Yeah, but you know what? He's having a huge impact on the interior scene right now. Dude, and, and more than everybody people, more than people even yeah, more than people uh, understand. He is the unsung is hero. He is the unsung yeah, hero I mean, of, of I follow his diet. I'm on his diet, meal plans. Yeah. Well, dude, yeah. Uh, listen, you as you've gotten older have gotten into much better shape. It was funny in doing, you know, it's like because when you do the show, you're like, you want to pull up a couple of things. Okay, let's let's see if there's anything I'm forgetting about, you know, conversations that that we've had in the past or anything like that. And you pull it up and the first picture that comes up and it's like, holy shit, Anthony's face is round in this picture. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's Ooh. a couple of years I got up to 240 and uh I didn't need abs to be the comedy guy. So I was like, it was like, it was, it was okay. But now that I'm older, yeah, I definitely don't want to carry that heavy weight. Who, who thought that you looked Russian? Uh, Rick Rogers. <laughs> really? So I get to his class and the, yeah. he just says, uh, Hey, you Boris, get in the ring. And you know, people chuckle and, and then someone else called me Boris. And I'm like, why are you calling me? Because Rip called you Boris. Because that, that's your that's your nickname now. You're, you'll be known as you'll always be known as Boris in this class. I'm like, what Boris? And he goes, Yeah, you look like Boris Zuka. <laughs> so I'm like, fuck. The hell am I gonna do? I have a different gimmick name, a real name, a, a nickname. And then my coach was first coach was Don Koloff. So I'm like, shit, I, I don't think there's been that rendition. Boris Koloff. There's been Boris Zukov and Ivan Koloff. So uh, I talked to my coach, got the blessing, that became Boris Koloff, and just kind of went with it. And I'm like, you know, I have a chance to explain how I know all these different techniques, these judo throws. I'm a military special forces Russian trained fighter. And I came up with the whole backstory. How, you know, I was doing, at 10 years old, the military pulled up and offered my parents some money. He show, he's been showing promise at the regional level. We want to take him to the military academy for children and train him and all this stuff. And um, So you created this, you created this whole backstory. You've written, how many, okay, how many backstories for different characters have you created? Full backstories too, too. Just Boris and Santino. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> have you have you have you thought about creating a third one or have you thought about creating one for somebody else well no well that's i i use that as a part of the character building like you you have to be able to write that story for yeah. your character like what happened on their third birthday what was their you know marvel origins moment or uh when when they became a bad guy or a good guy or, or what happened santino i, I know um, I wrote like a prequel movie up until the moment he debuts. Like the, the movie ends with the actual footage of him debuting on Raw. And uh, yeah, on uh, the Chris Jericho's podcast years ago, I was in character for 45 minutes telling the story of, of the, this prequel movie uh, the entire time, just in, in character and stuff. So 
I think you have to know that stuff. You know, you have to you have to know that that level of intimacy with the character. That way, you'll never be caught off guard when you're when you're when you like. For example, if I went out to a large audience and, had, and someone said, "Hey, go out there and talk for five minutes about something," I'd right. be like, "What the fuck am I going to say?" But if it's they could go out there as Santino and go talk for five minutes, oh, no problem. I can, you know, it's easier than me to become Santino and just because I, I I know him so well. I know the kind of things he would say and how he would handle himself. Um, it almost, Arn Anderson even said that. He goes, Santino was, you, you, you've convinced the people that it's okay for him to fuck up to the point where if you fuck up, people think you did it on purpose because you can't fuck up. Right. It's like, <laughs> it's like the Pink Panther. It's like What's the that? Pink Panther. It's like the Pink Panther. Remember yeah. the Pink Panther yeah. movies? You know the the Inspector Clouseau. It was that whole yeah. the bumbling. Like it was. Oh, he fucked it up. But but did he? Because it still caught the fucking bad guy. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Same kind. Same kind of mentality. Do Do you think? Do you think that that's something that isn't taught enough of at an early enough stage in wrestling? The character development yeah uh character development yeah i mean well it's tricky because i have some wrestlers that come in and they oh i already got my character oh got, like, fuck. You, you just got here don't get me fucking started on that yeah. everybody's got listen i've uh, this is my finishing this is this is the best here's my move set and this is my character it's like okay hold on time out yeah <laughs> you got to learn the psychology of you know, proportions of selling and getting up and timing. And, and uh, you know, it's great to have the character. Learn how to wrestle first, then tie it in with the character. I had a bunch of guys, you know, they showed some personality and they worked an indie match and they got good reactions. It's like, you know, we're a faction now. We're on the indies. Like, okay, but like, you don't know how to wrestle yet. Okay. You know how to wrestle a little bit and you're getting by, but that's not, that's, I, I hope that's not your your fucking target. Like you want there's so much, you know, you got your grade 10 equivalency. Great, great. You're going against guys from Harvard here. You you, you gotta learn more. Um but but you know, but then there's guys that are technically wicked that have no character. So man, it has to be that beautiful marriage of both. And it's very rare to find to find that that diamond. That diamond in yeah, because the then, because not only do you have to have a good character, know how to technically wrestle, know how to tell stories, somebody who wants it, and somebody who has some natural gifts. You know, right. somebody walks in who's driven in six five. You're like, okay, all you gotta do is don't be a fuck up. You know, and, and you'll have a shot at least. And often they fuck it up. <laughs> <laughs> it's there's a lot of pieces to the pie that have to be satisfied. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then on top of all of that, you got to stay relatively healthy throughout yeah, your yeah. journey too, right? Avoid like that, accidents. Avoid accidents and all of the stuff that comes after the accidents too. You know what I mean? Like, like yeah. just sitting on the shelf, rehabbing, like trying to get back in the game when you start getting into your own fucking head and, and asking yourself, what am I doing? What is going to be my next step? Right. Did that, yeah, and if it, I have a student, right? He's, he's been busting his ass. He's 28 years old. And I say to him, okay, or 26. 
And I said, well, what if I told, what if I had a crystal ball and told you your opportunity is going to come when you're 34, like a big opportunity blew up. I go, you might be thinking, fuck, that's eight years more. Can you make it till then? Like, can you hold on till then? Like that's, you know, is your girlfriend going to say enough's enough with this shit? Uh, we got, you know, is that going to fuck you up if she leaves? Uh, are your parents going to say, look, and you know, enough's enough. I mean, there's a lot of external pressure as well. Right. Not only from you, yourself. Do you remember a guy named Tommy Twilight? Say, I'm gonna turn, say again? Do you remember a guy named Tommy Twilight? Tommy Twilight? Tommy Twilight. He was around yeah. back in back in the early days when you first broke in and that. Yeah, but look kind of look like like Chris Candido. He's from Ontario. You know what I mean? It was just that Jack blonde hair, you know, puffy jacked uh, looking dude yeah. attitude era stuff. Very good, very technical, very good wrestler. Had the had the look, should have you know put his boots on and traveled or whatever. But I remember he told me one time he's like, you know, if I don't get a call within five years, I'm quitting all of this. And I was like, that's wacky. That's wild to think that there's there's people out there like that because. Listen, you never know if you're going to be a literal overnight success or you're going to be one of those 12, 15-year overnight success. A lot of people are like, this guy, 100%, I was just going to say, there's a guy who's been, you know, been out there for 25 years, you know, and now is is getting his chance to shine, right? Bobby Bobby Roode was another guy. I mean, he was already popular, but like on the big, big, big level, right? He was there for a long time. Yeah. 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 Rudy was always one of those guys, like even, even when he first started, cause he was, he was a guy who was around when I first broke in as well. And he was always, he always had that aura. You could always see some of these guys and a lot more so back then, I think, than even now, these guys that have that certain aura about them where it's like, Oh, he's, he gets it. He's going to travel. He's going to, you know, put in the work. He's going to, make the sacrifices he's going to do the things that are necessary and then you hope that they just you don't get injured you yeah know what I, mean? I, th- I think hornet hornet has done a fantastic job you know uh, he came came to you as a wrestler right as a wrestler i started him off as a wrestler we talk about the coaching phases he's a perfect example because then he came to you polished up even more got out of wrestling and into refereeing. And now, now he's got a career. Now he's got a career yeah. as opposed to, he could have just gone down there, stuck to his guns, been a wrestler, gotten blown out of the water out after a year and been struggling to survive ever since. Now as a referee, right? He's got a long career ahead of him. Awesome. It's an awesome job, man. He's in the action, hanging out with the boys, traveling. Like it's it's yeah. it's it's everything you want in the business. Um, might not be what you wanted from day one, but he pivoted well, and yeah, it's it's. And he's a everyone loves Hornet, right? I mean, and that, and and that's part. That's like one of the biggest skills that I forgot to mention when I was listing all the pieces of the pie. You got to be someone that people like to be around and they want to work with, right? They just want to. You know, when someone leaves, you look at the guy beside you and say, I like that guy. Right. That's a skill. That is an actual skill. And he has it. Has there ever been a guy, has there ever been a guy in the locker room with you that, you know, they'd be out in the crowd and everybody would love them. 
everybody would be like, oh, it's that's the greatest guy in the world. But then in the locker room, it's just like you can see them shut it off and they're just huh. like they're just they just not into it. They're not they don't want to be there. You know what I mean? Yeah, not 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 really in my time. I mean, uh, yeah, no, everyone was pretty, pretty, pretty uh, yeah. conscious of of where they were, and you know, even if they didn't weren't in love with the position they had on the show, mm-hmm. they still were were like, you know, um, I know there's thousands of people that would give up their left arm for my job, so I, you know, I should be happy. But but then even in the WWE, there were guys that they only defined success as being like a champion. I'm like, that is just mind blowing to me. I'm like, but you're unhappy. You're, you're you're on TV every week and you're making money. Like, what the fuck? Yeah, but I want to be a champion. I want to be a top guy. I want to be. Who gives a fuck if you're a top guy? Your 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 mortgage payment doesn't care. Is that driver entitlement? Um, you, so you know were, you know what I mean? Yeah. So a lot of no, it wasn't entitlement. It it, it was. Uh, it wasn't quite drive either. It was like this pressure. Yeah. That this pressure that you're only successful if you reach here. And the discrepancy of between where you were and where you thought you should be was a lot of it was unhappiness for a lot of people. And that, it's like they weren't looking at how far they've come, just that, that they weren't where they wanted to be. And, and you know, they kind of tell you you should never be complacent and you should always want more. But that doesn't mean you don't, you're still not grateful for where you are, right? Right, right. Appreciate where you are in the moment, the things that you've got around you. Understand what it is that got you to where you are. Always be driven to succeed even more because you understand, you understand the accolades and, and, and the fortunes that have been bestowed upon you up to this point to get you where you are, right? But I think some people, you know, it's, it's almost like they have to thrive in their own chaos, though. You know, they're like, ah, I don't feel like I'm good enough unless this or unless that, right? Do you yeah, find? And then, and then back then, it was really just the opinion of one man. Like, right? If this one man doesn't like you, it doesn't mean you're not good. Oh. Uh, or, or there's no such thing as I don't understand why that guy's. I'm better than him. Be- better? What do, you, what do you mean better? Come on, man. Right. There's no better. Right. Better well, is just you know, if Vince likes you, then. Yeah, then you're better. Oh, you're talking about Vince. I thought you were talking about Dave Meltzer. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, you know, like a lot of Vince had the power to create millionaires, you know, yeah. just by tickling his funny bone, you're going to have a good career. And if he likes somebody else, you know what I mean? It's it's nothing. I mean, you can try and become somebody he likes, but can't get down on yourself because it's just not his cup of tea, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, listen, there's always going to be likes and dislikes from everybody out there. Obviously, you want to do what you can to impress the boss. Uh, sometimes some people are more impressed with trying to pop the boys, with trying to make them crack up, with trying to make them break character. And it's <laughs> been it's been documented, it's been well documented that this is a thing that, you would try to do to guys and girls in promos. And if there's a camera on Santino Morello was trying to get you to break, so to speak. Right. 
Yeah, I, I still do it. <laughs> we, <laughs> was was there ever on uh, Saturday? Yeah, and I had the rascals in there, and I came close, man. I came close to <laughs> cracking them, but uh, they held on until they walked off camera. Have you have you made a have you made a list yet of the people that you want to get? And also, is there somebody on that list that you were just like, man, as much as I would try and try and try, they just wouldn't break. Yeah, I, I think Josh is going to be a tough one to get. But it's, I, <laughs> is that just because Josh doesn't get it? <laughs> no, he's just he, he, he's he's like stoned. But yeah, he I'll really get him. is. I'll get him. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, there you have it. I mean, it's gonna it's gonna have to happen. Right? <laughs> and if anybody's gonna be able to get Josh at it, I think it's gonna be you. There's no doubt about it. <laughs> Do you have? Do you have any regrets at this point? Because I mean, you're what you you're, you're 50 now. I'm 50 in a couple months. Yeah. 50 in a couple of months. Congratulations. I just oh, turned, 50, I just, I just turned 54 myself. Oh, nice. Uh, you know, just uh, uh, back in November. So yeah, I mean, listen, it happens. Apparently, apparently you gotta get fucking older. Who knows? Yeah. Right. But, but when you go back, and, and of course we talk about the accolades and talk about the great things that you have now and all of the, the opportunities that have been granted to you along the way, the people that you've met and you've met, like you had to be sitting in, in as a little kid in your room going, it's unimaginable that I would get to meet some of these people in life. But the people that you have met are unparalleled people will never you know they'll die trying to meet these people and you've been afforded the privilege of working with a lot of them has there ever been any regrets along the way up to this point for you something that made you sit there and go man i really i i wish i hadn't have done that i wish i could have changed that i wish i would have I wish I would have said yes to that opportunity instead of saying no. I wish, you know what I mean? Has there ever been anything along the way that made you go, uh, if only I had changed one little thing? Career-wise, I'd say no. Every Everything, you know, all's well that ends well. I mean, I, I feel like sometimes I was guided by a, you know, like a guardian angel type thing and, and, you know, I think last time we spoke about why I used to drive downtown, listen to the tourist Italian tape when I was stuck in traffic in Toronto. And then when the opportunity came, can you speak Italian? I just, I, I just repeated something from that tape. And, you know, um, I, I got along with Aaron Stevens. Yeah. So Mike Bucci was renting out his house. I rented a room in his house. So he knew I was Italian. And then when they were looking for the Italian guy, I came to the top of his mind. And, and it was all these sequence of events that just led up to, you know, that the, the right opportunity. Um, you know, when I first went on the road, I, 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 want, I, want to, I didn't know how long I was going to be there. You hear like the average is three, four years. So I was, you know, I got a place in Florida to, to, to as, as home base, you know. And sometimes I, I feel like I should have came home uh, every week instead of every other week, uh, just because my daughter was growing up so fast. That, that That's like the only regret, you know, and um, just being away from home was really hard in Japan and OBW, but it was a part of the process and a part, 
it was a part of it, you know. If there's a way I could have got away without doing it, I would have, but I had to go, man. So, but that's really the only regret, being away from family. Everything else was, I have no regrets, you know. Well, I, I guess, I mean, that's that's the answer that everybody, you know, kind of gives. You know what I mean? As soon as you start having kids and family and all of that stuff that goes along with that uh, civilian life and having to make those sacrifices for the betterment of your dream, everybody's going to have that as a regret. I guess you can't really, you can't really dictate how it happens so much in your professional life. Cause especially in professional wrestling, because everything can change at the drop of a hat. You could walk into the arena and see your name on the whiteboard, you know, and go, okay, cool. This is what I'm doing. Walk over to catering, grab a bottle of water, turn back around and your name's in a different place or not on the board at all. Things mm -hmm. can just change at the drop of a dime. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, I mean, being able to, being able to bounce with it, so to speak, you know what I mean? Being able to roll with the punches, always, always been, you know, able to do so has definitely been something I think that you as a human, from what I've seen and what I know, um, have always been able to do. But I want to ask, before we wrap this whole thing up, I want to ask, because we both have a love for mixed martial arts. You still watch, you still pay attention to mixed martial yeah, arts. Yeah. And you, and I know that your judo is a, a passion and a love since childhood, right? Uh, you become an ambassador, uh, so to speak for judo, you know, which is crazy. How did that come about? Well, there's a guy, his name is Mark Pickering. And he's a commentator right now. I think he was a commentator for Noah and New Japan. He was working for the IJF, the International Judo Federation. Really nice guy. And he was a pro wrestling fan. And uh, he, he may have been dabbling in commentary at the time. And he saw me, you know, WWE superstar, million Twitter followers, commenting on judo and sharing judo and throw, showing some slow motion throws. And I was coaching. So he brought it up to the people at the IJF and said, like, you know, there's this kind of celebrity guy. And he's, you know, they brought me in for a guest. Um, so I kind of bypassed Judo Ontario and Judo Canada. And I went to the, the IJF, the International Judo Federation. And I went to a couple events. And I had been doing some uh, commentary for, like, Destiny and stuff like that. So they asked me, would you would you mind jumping on the mic and doing a little guest commentary? I'm like, yeah, sure. So I gave it that little professional wrestling flavor. And they were like, to God, like, they're like, this guy's amazing. This guy's a natural. Thinking like I just started, you know. Right. So I actually did some commentary, a little bit of commentary for the IJF. And then Judo Canada is like, and the guys in Judo Canada were back from my generation. Now they're like CEOs and, you know, management. And they're like, what the hell? Corelli's working with the IJF, you know, and, and promoting and stuff. So they, they yeah, they, they made me the first ever official ambassador to Judo Canada. So uh, it's pretty cool. I get to do some uh, special events sometimes or in Canada. I'll go out and do some commentary and, you know, do some posts and get to know the national team a little better. It's, it's, a, it's a great uh, community, Judo. That is fantastic. And you stepped into the world of MMA for a couple of fights anyways, right? Oh, well, no, not, not really. <laughs> I, I, I got into a, I got into a fight in the dojo uh -huh. in Japan 
And, uh, you know, whatever, this big, tall kickboxer guy, I took him down because he, he was getting out of control. So I tried to calm him down and he didn't. Was it one of those situations well. where you guys, was it one of those situations in the ring where he was getting froggy and, you know, thought that you yeah. were, uh, you, so somebody got disrespected, right? And it, it got handled. But so then how does this end up being like, oh, fucking Anthony Corelli is in an MMA fight? Yeah. So after I, I kind of beat him up or whatever, then one of the guys goes, mm, maybe you MMA. And I was like, fuck yeah, whatever, no problem. And uh, there was a fight in like, three weeks notice and against some up and coming MMA guy. Like I never even took like proper kickboxing classes and stuff. And it, it was basically like uh, Ronda Rousey and Holly Holm. I was trying to get a hold of the guy and he like punched me in the neck. He actually didn't, my, my, my chin was so open. He actually hit me in the neck. Like he didn't even, <laughs> there was so much room. He got under my chin. Or was he trying to throw, was choke. he trying to throw work punches? <laughs> Yeah, it was. Uh, but the the funny thing is, is that I fought under Johnny Gio Bosco. Okay. So the, the Japanese people couldn't comprehend the two part last name Gio Space Bosco. So they thought my name was Joe Bosco. So my MMA career is under the name of Joe Bosco. So it doesn't. Even, it's not even my name. So it's. But if you look under like Fight Dog or something, there's a a profile for Joe Bosco. You know, somebody videotaped it. Somebody <laughs> there had to be videotaping from the beginning because it wasn't very long, but you know, for a fact that there's those fans, especially Japanese fans, like they put the fan and fanatic, a lot yeah. of them, they're very passionate about what they're into. So somewhere out there, I guarantee you a tape exists. There must be. <laughs> I did a, I did like a Q&A in Australia and the guy pulled up a picture from the fight. I was like, what? I never even seen the picture. Um, but the thing is, so my grappling, that's where my grappling was sharp. If I got my hands on him, it was over. But I, uh, you know, you need to train some striking as well, apparently. <laughs> Punches set up the takedowns, my man. Punches <laughs> yeah. set up the takedowns. Well, you know what the worst thing was is that I switched to Southpaw three weeks before the match to try and because that's my grappling side so to eliminate the switching which was the the actual big mistake really why okay that's interesting to me because i grew up grappling as well all through school and all of that but why switching to your left side if are you left-handed no because my judo side is my right hand forward okay my boxing side is my left hand forward so instead of boxing in and then taking that step to switch to the right, it was a mistake. It was a mistake. Okay. Yeah, yeah. clearly. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and so as soon as, as soon as I step forward with my right foot, my hand just comes down naturally because of judo. Yeah. And uh, so I was, yeah, I was, it was a mistake. That's amazing. That's amazing. So what's next? What's next for you? Uh, yeah, so you, I just resigned you... with TNA. Yeah, okay. Um, I got like six weeks off right now. Gonna start. I had my eye surgery, so finally I can, uh, no glasses, no contacts. Yeah. The first, I had implanted contact lenses like a week ago. So uh, I'm just going to train, man, for the next six weeks, starting a training camp tomorrow, like my own personal training camp. And um, just get ready for January, man. We, we go to Vegas, we go to Orlando, and... Uh, 
just excited for the new year. You got to be ready in case shit goes down, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, with with impact, I might wrestle like quarterly, maybe once yeah. every few months. So, uh, and actually, I want to compete at a uh, world championships this year for like my age group in jujitsu. Okay. So I got to get my cardio up and hit that air assault bike, and you know, just get my get my lungs going. How long have you been doing jits now? Um, a few months. Like okay. uh, I did a few months last year some time off a few months this year i did a little bit of battle art so it's, i've been dabbling for you know here and there but i want to i want to just get i have to get consistent and uh hit no up, injuries hit up our uh, our friend jake o'reilly yeah he's in uh, barry absolutely he's in barry ontario uh very talented on the mats um he's a shitty drinker so don't go out with him afterwards but uh yeah if you're looking for somebody to roll with he rolls with a lot of really good guys too so like if you get a chance because i know that you're closer up that way now right towards where he is so absolutely hit him up for sure um how long and i'd be remiss if i didn't ask this of you because i know the answer has been has been answered because it's been asked already how you ended up still being able to be santino morello oh yeah simple um so scott he has a habit of you know if he has a former wwe guy he has to always figure out what he's going to call them sure and he has a habit of checking the trademarks so for some reason in 2021 maybe with all the firings and covid or whatever they didn't renew it so he just said whoops and done and he just got it that's it, it's funny because it was actually it was kind of like bigger news than the fact that I debuted was that the fact that I debuted with the name, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, <laughs> I went to SmackDown, I think it was in, it was in Toronto. And I went there and somebody brought it up there, you know, like, oh, way to fuck them over. And I'm like, nothing to do with me, man. Yeah, no, it, listen, it's, it's the way, that's the way that I ended up getting this back was the trademark expired and I ended up getting it simple. No way. It, it, you know what I mean? So it's, it's just, it's weird how our paths and how lives bring you, you know, in these weird directions. Right. Yeah. Do you think there will be like, after, after Santino is done, do you think there will be another Anthony Corelli character or is that the one that, uh, is that the one that puts you into the hall of fame? Because you, you will end up there. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I think I I, I wouldn't mind uh, some behind the scenes stuff later, some producing and stuff. Yeah, um, <clears throat> I could do a general manager comedy gimmick if they need. You know, I don't know where the. I mean, I, I, as my in-ring abilities slowly decline, uh, we got to think of the the the, the to transition to something else in the business. I want to stay in the business. Uh, I I'm not coaching anymore. I stopped as of Labor Day. It's been I coached for ten years. 10 years I coached and um, we have awesome coaches right uh, underneath us. Yeah. Uh, Forza, Sabre, Jody Threat, they're all coaching. They're doing a wicked job. Um, so they don't need me right now for, for that. Plus that's, I live far. Yeah. But uh, I wouldn't mind doing some stuff coaching in the future. At, at, uh, not like something every maybe I guess coaching at the performance center 
maybe, I don't know, but I wouldn't mind doing some form of, of coaching. Even I talked to Scott about, you know, like on a TV day, maybe getting in the ring and doing something with some, some talent there. So maybe you something. running like some of the gut check stuff or getting involved more, that end more like fine tuning some of the guys that are already trained. I, I, gotcha. I'm not into yeah, the yeah, yeah. too much, you know? Yeah. Well, cause listen, and that's a smart move and I, and, and between me, you and the, you know, millions of people listening. I mean, you know, as well as I do people walking off the street, right. Are way different nowadays than they were when we walked off the street to learn about professional wrestling Oh yeah, and trying to communicate and trying to, trying to relate to people nowadays, nowadays is a job much better left to people. Like you said, like the Fuerzas and the Jody threats and you know, they, they are of that generation. Let mm. them deal with that kind of stuff because you oh, know, yeah, as well yeah, as yeah. I do, you know, as well as I do, there's like you said at the beginning of all of this, there's levels to the coaching. So you start here, you move on to another coach and your, your role now for that coaching is going to be a lot more like mentorship and life coaching. And, and, and when they come to you with those problems, you know what I mean? So yeah, I'm, I'm down with that. Good for you, brother. Good for you. Uh, Anthony, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to sit down. I hope it's been uh, as good for you as it was for me. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's no, always, it? it's always fun to catch up with you, my man. Uh, I appreciate the hell out of you. I look forward to seeing you every single time I get a chance to see you on TV or just in person. Uh, you always manage to bring a smile to everybody's face. That's around you. And that's my superpower. And, and that is, that is a gift. That is a gift that keeps on giving. Um, your smile is like the herpes of laughter i don't know what that means <laughs> but no i i wish i wish nothing but the best of success continued success at that rate uh to you um have a wonderful holiday season you know uh I, and 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 those kids man cherish that because before you know it they're gonna be they're gonna be up and gone you've already been through this once right look yeah. where she is now so like Enjoy the process this time around, brother. I will. Thank you, man. I, yeah. I also, have a have a great holiday season yourself. I will. Have a great 2024. Absolutely. You too. Uh, stay right there. We'll be right back uh, to close all of this out. My name is Notorious TID Chris Tidwell. This is the Law of Live Audio Wrestling. We'll be right back. Did you know that Saturday, February 24th, Destiny World Wrestling returns to Oshawa and the Children's Arena for Destiny's Reckless? Is that the event featuring the indie god himself, Matt Cardona? You bet it is. I heard he's not going to be there alone. I heard Steph Delander showing up. I heard Fighter Flight is showing up. Vanna Black, Tara Zep, Lince Dorado, and a whole bunch more. Man, you better get your tickets now. They're on sale at www.destinywrestling.ca.
And we are back on the law, live audio wrestling. And Chris, you, you do it every week. Uh, at this point, I don't even know what to say. Santino, Anthony, that was a fantastic sit-down. You talked about things like trademarks. You talked about things like the WWE. You talked about kids. You talked about life in the business, outside of the business. I don't know if you could get more of a full-circle interview there. It's pretty much just the tip of the iceberg, though. You know, because there's so much inside of that man's brain. And we will get a chance to sit down with him many more times in the future. Um, and definitely in 2024. So thank you so much to Anthony Santino uh, for joining me on on that one. Uh, it's been a fantastic 2023. It's been a whirlwind. We've had some crazy times. This is, you know, just the beginning of it, 2024. 2024 is going to be our Swerve Strickland year, I fully believe. We are going to have that breakout moment. We are going to have that. I mean, we've had to deal with enough people sending us enough silly letters and silly emails and silly suggestions. Well, I'm not doing any of those things, and I physically <laughs> can't do at least one of those things that you tried to get me to do. So stop asking. But 2024, <laughs> I am going to make you humble. Uh, you are going to get Boston crabbed, and that's just all there is to it. Oh, my goodness. This turned aggressive at the end of the year. You're just trying to vent it all out, right? You've only got another hour or two left of the year. I get it. You got to get it out, ladies all and gentlemen. All right. All right. Can I Can I, I can do a quick run before the red light? Do it. What? The red light just came on. All right. Well, with that said, you got anything else that you want to plug before we roll this ride out, my friend, for the year? You know where you can find me. you always over on uh, YouTube at TidTalk, T-I-D-T-A-L-K. Uh, you can check us out here. Send us your emails to thelaw.liveaudiowrestling at gmail.com. You can check out our YouTube channel as well that is getting some mighty fine traction. We are putting up the, the interviews. And in the new year, there is a little rumor that we are going to be going L-I-V-E, live with this show over on our YouTube channel. So be sure to subscribe to that earlier than later because you do not want to miss any of that stuff because live means live means oh boy once it's out of our mouths it's out of our mouths ladies and gentlemen so be sure to go over there we got nothing to hide we'll talk about all the stuff that the other guys don't want to talk about 100 percent, 100 percent. we will so be sure to go over there subscribe the law wrestling on youtube and uh outside of that what do you got what you got I got nothing. I just want uh, everybody to love the show as much as we love making it. Guys, thank you very much. If you found us on Spotify, wherever you found us, SME Radio, we can't thank you enough for 2023 and welcoming the law back with open arms. We love you very much. Our trademarks, our unlawful listeners, our law-abiding citizens. I love you. We'll see you in 2024. Chris, that's it for me. And remember, ladies and gentlemen, tuck your chin. Listening to the law live audio wrestling with Chris Tidwell and Brady Weta. You can email any questions or comments to be read on air to the law.liveaudiowrestling at gmail.com.